Chapter number eight. War according to Hindu texts. If you die, you will attain heaven. If you succeed, you will achieve the royal pleasures. So Konteya, stand up with determination to fight the war. Be prepared for war by seeing with equanimity your pleasure and sadness, gain and loss, and win and loss. No sin occurs therein. Yida, chapter number two, verse number eleven to thirty-eight. Though mention of war is rich in Indian Vedas, most of the narrations of war appear to describe occurrences in the world of devas. Most of the wars in Vedas happened between Indra, a prominent deva, and Dasyus. According to Western scholars like Max Muller and T. H. Griffith, and Indian scholars like D. D. Kosambi, K. Damodaran, and Rahul Sankratayan, the deva Asura conflicts occurred between the early inhabitants of Sapta Sindhu. That is, Dravidians and Aryans who came out as soldiers to fight with them. Whatever be the context in Veda Mantra, we can see the domination of Indra, the leader of Devas, against Dasyus. See a few of those mantras. Indra, invoked by many, killed Himsakas, that best one, armed with Vajra, preserved earth, water, and sun. Rigveda. You, Indra, broke seven fortifications of Puru and Devadas. You gave Adidigwa. Wealth from your radiance and pushed Sambara from the top of a mountain. Indra saved his devotee. He punished the penance breakers. He is the destroyer of the Sus and the greedy. We can also see mandras in Yajurveda, Samaveda, and Adarvaveda. The wars waged by devas could be seen as aggressions carried out for ascendancy and supremacy, though they were replica of the Aryan attacks against Dasus for the supremacy of Saptasindhu. The aim of their war was to gain fertile land, abundant farm yields, a tranquil place to rest, and cattle for wealth. They did not have any other purpose in the battlefront than killing and capturing. From the mention of evil deeds attributed to Indra and its partisans, this fact is clear. Kaushitaki, Brahmanopanishad quotes Indra as saying, "Know me only. That is what I deem most beneficial for a man, that he should know me." I slew the three-headed son of Tushtri. I delivered the Arunmukas, the devotees, to the wolves, Salavrika, breaking many treaties. I killed the people of Prahlada in heaven, the people of Ploma in the sky, the people of Kalakanga on earth, and not one hair of me was harmed there. And he who knows me thus, by no deed of his is his life harmed, not by the murder of his mother, not by the murder of his father. Not by theft, not by the killing of Brahman. If he is going to commit a sin, the bloom does not depart from his face. Bhagavad Gita is an Indian sacred book that contains suggestions and instructions to be followed in warfront. Gita is part of the Hindu epic called Mahabharata, though Gita consists of the chapters from 25 to 42 in Bhisma Parva. It is generally regarded as an independent work. Insist on Nivedita's widely quoted words. Gita is the blood of India's blood and flesh of India's flesh. The statement of Ajarya Vinoba Bhave, "How much breast milk is useful for my body growth?" Bhagavad Gita has enriched my heart and intellect. Lay stress on the importance of Gita in the Indian mind. Dr. S. Radhakrishnan emphasized the universality of Gita, while Swami Vivekananda characterized it as a source of power. Marxist theoretician Dilip Bose says that while Gandhi interpreted Gita as a prop of freedom struggle. The British argued negatively, while the Communists interpreted it as a motivation for riot against Muslims. This shows the influence of Gita among the high and middle classes in India. 
Therefore, in our exploration of the perception of war among the Hindus, the study of Gita's philosophy of war is relevant. In order to know the philosophy of war in Bhagavad Gita, it is a prerequisite that we know what Mahabharata has to say about the events that led to the Kurukshetra war. Bhagavad Gita beings from the question of the blind king, Dhridharashtra, what my people and children of Pandu who arrived at Kurukshetra, the field of righteousness, do Sanjaya. It ends on the statement of Sanjaya, Dhridharashtra's minister and friend. Where there is Krishna, the lord of yoga, where there is Partha, the archer, there will be prosperity, victory, progress and well-established jest. Such is my belief. The whole verses in Bhagavad Gita includes motivation for war. Only when we understand the agents, purpose and means of Kurukshetra war, we can understand the real meaning of Sri Krishna's advice and the following incidents. Dhridharashtra and Pandu were Chandravamsha kings, who were Vyasa's children with Ambika and Ambali respectively, and whom Bhisma brought up. Pandu was childless as he carried the curse of the sage Kinmada that he would die when he would touch his wife. However, Pandu's wives, Kunti and Madri, were blessed by the fertility mantras possessed by the former and became pregnant. With the help of the mantras, Kunti gave birth to Dharmaputra, Yudhishthira, Bhima and Arjuna from Yamadharma, Vayu and Indra. From Ashwini goddess, Madri gave birth to Nakula and Sahadeva. Pandavas are the five children of Pandu. Once Pandu was living in Shatasurunga hill by fondly frolicking with his five children, he was attracted by the beauty of spring, was sexually awakened and had sex with his wife Madri, forgetting the curse. He fell dead on the bosom of Madri, who, after entrusting her children with Kunti, jumped into the funeral fire and observed the ceremonial sati. Following Pandu, his brother Dhridharashtra became the king of Hastinapura. The prince was Yudhishthira. Seeing that Pandavas are besting his own children, Kauravas, Dhridharashtra became jealous. That was how he allowed his eldest son Duryodhana to shift Pandavas to a house of wax at Varnavata. After the wax house was burned, Dhridharashtra thought that his nephews were killed and did the funerary rites for them. However, having escaped the fire, the Pandavas went to a village at Egachakra and settled at a Brahmin's house. They took part in Swayamvara of Panchali, daughter of Drupada, king of Panchala, in which she chose Arjuna as a spouse. Arjuna and others moved with his wife Panchali to Mother Kunti, who without seeing them asked them to enjoy the arms which they had received by sharing it among themselves. Thus Panchali became the wife of the five brothers. With that everyone came to know that Pandavas were alive. Then Dhridharashtra called them and gave them half of the kingdom. The Pandavas ruled their kingdom under Yudhishthira with Indraprastha as their capital. Duryodhana then challenged Yudhishthira to defeat him in a gambling and the latter accepted it. Following the stratagem of Sakuni, maternal uncle of Duryodhana, Yudhishthira was twice defeated in the gambling. They lost all they possessed in the first gambling. They even put Panchali as a wager. Having won the bet, Duryodhana appointed Panchali as the maid in his palace. Though Dusahana, Duryodhana's brother, tried to destroy Panchali, Sri Krishna intervened and prevented it. Having been defeated for the second time, the Pandavas were forced to observe the twelve years of forest dwelling and one years living in estrangement as per conditions. They went to the forest with their wife Panchali. Having returned, after forest dwelling in seclusion, the Pandavas were denied half their kingdom when Kauravas declined it. Though Krishna tried to assuage Duryodhana, who claimed that he would not give a needle space, he failed. Though Dhridharashtra, 
did not agree with the stand of his son. Things had gone out of his control. But he was able to prevent his son from taking Krishna as prisoner when the latter approached him for truce. This led to the Kurukshetra war of Pandavas against illegal appropriation of their kingdom by Kauravas. The war lasted for 18 days. Bhagavad Gita appears in Bhisma Parva of Mahabharata as a verse of motivation for Arjuna by his charioteer Krishna. The first chapter of Gita is Arjuna Vishada Yoga, which deals with the sadness of Arjuna at seeing his blood relatives and teachers at the battlefront. In the words of the author of Gita, their sadness is expressed as follows. Arjun said, O Krishna, seeing my own kinsmen arrayed for battle here and intent on killing each other, my limbs are giving way and my mouth is drying up. My whole body shudders. My hair is standing on end. My bow, the gaive, is slipping from my hand and my skin is burning all over. My mind is in quandary and whirling in confusion. I am unable to hold myself steady any longer. O Krishna, killer of the Keshi demon, I only see omens of misfortune. I do not foresee how any good can come from killing my own kinsmen in the battle. O Krishna, I do not desire the victory, kingdom or the happiness accruing it. Of what avail will be a kingdom, pleasures or even life itself, when the very persons for whom we covet them are standing before us for battle? Teachers, fathers, sons, grandfathers, maternal uncles, grandsons, fathers-in-law, grandnephews, brothers-in-law and other kingsmen are present here, staking their lives and riches. O Madhusudan, I do not wish to slay them. Even if they attack me, if we kill the sons of Dhridharashtra, what satisfaction will we derive from the dominion over the three worlds? What to speak of the earth? O maintainer of all living entities, what pleasure will we derive from killing the sons of Dhridharashtra? Even though they may be aggressors, sin will certainly come upon us if we slay them. Hence, it does not behoove us to kill our own sons, the sons of Dhridharashtra and friends. O Madhav, how can we hope to be happy by killing our own kinsmen? Their thoughts are overpowered by greed, and they see no wrong in annihilating their relatives and wrecking treachery upon friends. Yet, O Janardhan, why should we, who can clearly see the crime in killing our kindred, not turn away from the sin? When a dynasty is destroyed, its traditions get vanquished, and the rest of the family becomes involved in irreligion. With the preponderance of wise, O Krishna, the woman of the family become immoral, and from the immorality of woman, or descendant of Vrishni, unwanted progeny are born. An increase in unwanted children results in hellish life for both the family and for those who destroy the family, deprived of the sacrificial offerings. The ancestors of such families also fall. Through the evil deeds of those who destroy the family tradition and thus give rise to unwanted progeny, a variety of social and family welfare activities are ruined. O Janardhan, I have heard from the learned that those who destroy family traditions dwell in hell for an indefinite period of time. Alas, how strange it is that we have set our mind to perform this great sin, driven by the desire for kingly pleasures. We are intent on killing our own kinsmen. It will be better if, with weapons in hand, the sons of Dhridharashtra kill me unarmed and unresisting on the battlefield. Speaking this, Arjun cast aside his bow and arrows and sank into the seat of his chariot his mind in distress and overwhelmed with grief. Sri Krishna was resisting Arjuna's decision to withdraw from the war with his belief and philosophy. It is in the course of this defense that the Brahmajnana, philosophy on the meaning of life and on dharma as outlined in Gita in three parts such as karma, kanda, upasana kanda, jnana kanda come to four in the first slokas, stanzas in Samja Yoga.
the second chapter of Gita. The meaning of those slokas that establish the consequential destruction of war, the dharma of kshatriyas, are really a myth is as follows. Never was there a time when I did not exist, nor you, nor all these kings, nor in the future shall any of us cease to be. Just as the embodied soul continuously passes from childhood to youth to old age, similarly at the time of death, the soul passes into another body. The wise are not deluded by this. Only the material body is perishable. The embodied soul within is indestructible, immeasurable and eternal. Therefore, fight, O descendant of Bharat. The soul is neither born, nor does it die, or having once existed, does it ever cease to be. The soul is without birth, eternal, immortal, and ageless. It is not destroyed when the body is destroyed. Death is certain for one who has been born, and rebirth is inevitable for one who has died. Therefore, you should not blame him over the inevitable. If you fight, you will either be slain on the battlefield or go to the celestial abodes, or you will gain victory and enjoy the kingdom on earth. Therefore, arise with determination, O son of Kunti, and be prepared to fight. Fight for the sake of duty, treating alike happiness and distress, loss and gain, victory and defeat. Fulfilling your responsibility in this way, you will never incur sin. To the question as to why there should be war, Gita does not have any answers to offer, than it is meant to seize a country. It gives the justification that the war is waged in order to take possession of a nation which someone deserves. Mahabharata does not deal with the question that the people of Hastinpura drew any marked difference between Duryodhana and Yudhishthira. The mission of Gita in this respect is to serve the philosophy that those who die in the war are not in fact killed and to convince Arjuna that there is nothing wrong in killing one's teachers and relatives. Tiruvangar Krishnakurup observes that the scribe of Gita was actually encouraging the Varna system and the concomitant slavery that had existed in India by saying that war, the role of Kshatriya, that the royal from war is timidity, that if one is killed in a war, he should enter heaven, and if one succeeds in it, he would go to heaven with his whole body. The four categories of caste, Chadurvarnya, were created by me according to people's qualities and activities. Although I am the creator of this system, know me to be the non-doer and eternal. The following prediction strengthens the division of caste and thereby justifies the Brahminism. It is better to do one's own dharma, even though imperfectly, than to do another's dharma. Even though perfectly, by doing one's innate duties, a person does not incur sin. Also Gita states, Partha, even woman, Vaishya and Sudra who are born through sinful yonis, will attain, will attain the supreme destination if they take refuge in me. Through this verse, woman, Vaishya and Sudra are confirmed as having been born through sinful sexual organs, thereby theoretically acknowledging the cruelty of the caste system. According to the Varna system, it is the duty of a Kshatriya to wage the war. The mission of Gita is to prepare them for war. Gita does not perform any higher mission than inciting one's question for regaining the lost kingdom and expanding one's territory. The aim of Gita's scribe is to convince the Kshatriya that there is nothing wrong in killing one's kins and relatives, as there are many birds for a person. Even the eleventh chapter, considered to be the Darsana Yoga, philosophical part, as in the chapter Krishna reveals himself before Arjuna as a Brahma, encompassing the entire universe, thereby bringing him to the ecstasy of Advaita, does not appear to have any higher mission than this. See the following verses. The Supreme Lord said, I am mighty time, the source of destruction that comes forth to annihilate the worlds. 
Even without your participation, the warriors arrayed in the opposing army shall cease to exist. Therefore, arise and attain honor, conquer your foes and enjoy prosperous rulership. These warriors stand already slain by me, and you will only be an instrument of my work, O expert archer. Dronacharya, Bhishma, Jayadrada, Khan and other brave warriors have already been killed by me, so slay them without being disturbed. Just fight and you will be victorious over your enemies in battle. Kida performs the dharma of convincing Arjuna that he should not turn back on his mission of waging the war. There is no human mission in the council of the Gita scribe. Enjoy the plentiful kingdom after defeating the enemies. The concern of Parth about the tens and thousands of innocent people who are killed in the war being waged for a nation and fame is addressed by the scribe of Gita in his advice. Even if you do not kill them, they will die. They do not die but attain another birth. They will attain freedom from the bondage of sin in the next birth. We can see here a brilliant execution of a tactic in which baseless belief in rebirth is cited as a prop to justify the atrocities of war. With the theory of rebirth concocted to justify the Varna system and the Savarna supremacy, the scribe is justifying the cruelties in a war. In short, Bhagavad Gita is giving the message of war that is the mission of Kshatriya. One should not abstain from it and go forth without being held back by the scruples about the moral consequence of war.